This is the one with a firm mouth. Sheriff's badge is large enough to outbadge even Adric's. A pitiful performance by poor pusillanimous Perry. A bump. A bump. A bump. A bump. It's called the Twin Dilemma. Excelsior! Excelsior. <laughs> or, here we go! <laughs> <laughs> We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalen, Ood, and the Cybertronic race. Some Torrens look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who Back when. Subscribe and read on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? What's up, Podcast Land, and welcome to yet another incredible, fantastic, absolutely magical episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. Shazamatron and a half. Yes, dang right, that's exactly what this is. Uh, speaking of halves, I am but half of today's hosting capacity. My name is Leon, you are Podcast Land, and I am staring across the ether upon my screen at the gorgeous visage of none other than Jim Cakes. Hello, Jim. Hello, Leon. Hello, Podcast Land. Yes, it is I, Jim. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, oh boy, do we have a doozy for you this evening, Podcast Land. Today, we are discussing the twin dilemma. Yikes, caramba. Methinks you and I will have very contrasting opinions about this one. I say this deliberately putting thoughts in your brain. High level, Jim. Yay or nay? Well, how how can I contrast you if I don't know what your opinion is? I mean, what, you, what, I, 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 what, what, what do you think? What do you think? Um, <laughs> I sort of liked it, <laughs> Jim. Yeah. I hate to disappoint you or anyone in podcast land. Your opinion and mine do not contrast at all because I freaking <laughs> love this episode. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but. Okay, yeah, I really like, like this episode. Oh. Serial, damn okay, it! Okay. <laughs> hey, it's just part of the thing now, dude. Lean into it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, there is quite a lot to dig into in this serial. Yes. Uh, new Doctor, crazy plots, zany characters, um, disparate locations, yada, yada, yada. Before we get into the nitty gritty, would you concur, dear sir? It may behoove us to jump into a bite-sized chunk of who. I do concur. <laughs> Indubitably. Time for us to synopsize, lerbify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free-for-all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The Doctor has just regenerated into his sixth form, and he's an altogether edgier, less dainty, and more homicidal chap. Barely out of his cricket kit and into a psychedelic clown coat, he's already trying to kill his companion, and decrees that he's taking them to the far-off planet of Titan Three to live as a hermit with Perry as his involuntary maid and acolyte. Meanwhile, a pair of mathematically twinned wunderkinder with apparently nefarious powers we'll never explore in this serial, are visited by an inextricably teleporting old man, whom they happily mistake for a stage musician, and allow to wipe their memories and spirit them away. And to really hammer home the crazy, through a roundabout series of plot points, they end up on the planet Jaconda, which, 
since the last time Doc visited, has been taken over by power-hungry human-slug hybrids of Jacondan myth, dot dot dot. Dot dot dot. Who plan to use the twins to change planetary orbits, create orbiting kitchen cupboards for themselves, and in the process, jizz their gross slug eggs across the galaxy. Mm, Be scout over. Be scout over. <laughs> you are welcome. Oh. <laughs> You know what, before we jump into introductory questions and, and whatnot, it has just dawned on me that on a number of occasions recently, I have said, when we get to this episode, we're going to have a guest on the show. And we are in this episode now. We don't have this guest. Uh, I should just say, yeah, hold your emails, podcast land. We're aware. <laughs> we thought Mr. that we were going to have a... Down. <laughs> We expected to have a guest host uh, on today's episode, namely none other than Doc Oho himself, Joey. But uh, unfortunately, for scheduling reasons, uh, he couldn't make it this evening. Fret not. Obviously, you can say hi to Doc Oho online. Go to at Doc Oho, all in one word, and ask him why he wasn't on this episode of Who Back When. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, hi, Joey. Uh, right. Okay. So we're jumping into this serial, dude. Are you ready? Do you have questions? If so, do you want to ping me or would you like me to ping you? You're far the question guy. So I feel like you need to just kind of ping, ping, ping. Okay. Well, it's maybe just as well as th that you said that because I have prepped 14 introductory questions on my side. Exactly. Uh, See, we all knew that was coming. <laughs> Okay, question one. Identical twins freak you out as well, right? <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, obviously. No, but bull haircuts do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Identical um, bull haircut. On a serious note, though, why do they need to be twins? Fuck knows. I mean, that, they that, that's are... That's my serious answer. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they are twins. The, the serial, I'd said it right this time, is called The Twin Dilemma. I don't feel like there is a dilemma here. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't was, understand why they have to be twins. There was maybe a brief dilemma that did involve the twins, because it was like, oh. should we calculate the stuff for the planets to orbit the other planet and use oh, it so it's a, to save... the twins who face the dilemma. Jakanda. Well, everyone sort of did, because they, they wanted to okay. save Jakanda, however you say it. But it meant that they would be calculating the thing that the Mester would be using at the same time. So it was dangerous. And there was a dilemma. Should we do this? Should we should we do a thing that could cause harm as yeah, an attempt okay. to save people? Okay, okay. I don't know. I'm you know I'm what? stretching a bit. <laughs> no, I think that's I think that's solid stuff. I think that's a really good answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I have one more twin question for you as a little sub-question if you're interested, because I think it tallies very closely with what you just gave as an answer. In the beginning, when we meet them, we also meet their dad. And their dad is like, dudes, why do you have to play equation? Like, that, do you not, you don't understand how dangerous that is when you play equation. My question, play I guess, equation. is, Jim, <laughs> comma, huh? <laughs> That intro stuff, to be honest, I had mostly forgotten about until you just reminded me. Okay. Like, they're such assholes. They're interacting with hmm. their dad. Like, he's a fellow genius. 
so it's okay. And then they're talking about their mother. Like, she's not a genius. Why would we even, I don't know, even think about them? What the, They're just, like, convinced she's oh, a I'm... fool and not worth even talking to. Oh, interesting. I did not read that into it. Or I did. I missed that entirely. I thought that they were disparaging both of their parents. Maybe they were with the dad as well. I'm not sure. But definitely the mum. And the, the dad was in You're the room. Right, yeah. I felt like he, either he was taking it very well or it wasn't as directed at him, at the very least. I feel like there's this entirely separate and cut out of the final production subplot where this poor couple on planet whatever where wherever they are have twins who turn out to be megalomaniacal evil geniuses and who clearly run the show like they are in control of the entire family unit and the parents are now at the mercy of their adolescent kids whims <laughs> And we never really get to see that, but there is that whole like, oh no, oh no, I'm just a, I'm just an adult. What can I do? Fucking ground your kids. Take away <laughs> their computer rights. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? Well, oh, okay. Here's here's the line from from Remus. I've got this in the transcript. Oh. Um, because mother happened to give birth to us. Does not. Does that automatically grant her a place in our affections? You're so right. Yeah. They're real shits. <laughs> The interesting thing was, like, I mean, they were terrible throughout. The the, the acting mm-hmm. was bad. And the fact that they are twin boys was horrible. Yep. You know, like the. <laughs> <laughs> it, but the, the thing was, I probably could have forgiven all that. But it had this this setup where they were just utter utter shits, and it's like. Yeah. Am I meant to warm to these at some point? No, I'm not going to. Uh, no, you're this right. Intro. <laughs> I reckon there actually was a different purpose for those characters that just got written out. Uh, and th- there's a bit of trivia associated with the scripts. Uh, oh, I'll see if I can find it now. Anthony Stevens' progress on the scripts was very slow. I- I'm just reading this straight off Todd's Wikia. And he began Mm. offering the production team fantastical excuses such as, quote, his typewriter exploding. He eventually fell ill, leaving Eric Sword to heavily restructure the scripts, which Peter Moffat felt had serious logistical and storytelling problems. So I bet... Anthony Stevens started with a very different vision, sends them a, a, a couple of scripts, they're, maybe they're half-finished, whatever it is, and then Saward doesn't know what is solely stuck in Anthony Stevens' brain and not available on paper, and just lets those threads just, you know, remain tangled. Yeah, you could well be right. It does, it feels a bit disjointed, that's for sure, yeah. with this... And uh, you were right, what you said earlier, like this, this setup of like the, the wonder kids on this planet, it does feel like the father is scared of them. And also, yeah. it's one one call to the police and a fleet of, I don't know what kind of military vehicles they were, go out to rescue them. It's like, my genius kids have been abducted yes you're absolutely right yes and even even one step further is like he says there's this residue and they're immediately like oh alien abduction (laughs) like this happens every tuesday (laughs) that's so dumb (laughs) i I made a note of that as well zanium this can only mean one thing alien abduction I mean, this is kind of thing South Park would do is like, hey, there's an anal probe. There must have been an alien abduction. (laughs) (laughs) Either that or Mr. Garrison. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Okay, can I ask one more question about the kids? Why are they called Romulus and Remus? Oh, fuck no. Well, that's 
the oh. other interesting thing because okay. I don't know how much Doc was being flippant with humanoid species, but he he has this big thing about saying Perry as a, is abandoning her own people from her own race or something like that. When she, I, I forget the exact context, context. Yeah, but she is referring to those people. I think maybe it's the lieutenant, but yeah, she, he's referring to them as if they're all humans, which would explain Romulus and Remus. They are humans, I think. They're like future humans on some distant planet somewhere. Okay, you take that as a given. Fine. Okay, I'm just being stupid. I, I just kind of assume because <laughs> you're right. He does refer to them as humans, so I just assume. Otherwise, Doc is a massive racist. Like, yeah. Oh wait, you look exactly like me and everyone else on this show. Yeah, you must be humans. Oh, fuck you, Doc. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I okay. Mean, sorry, I've been pinging a lot. Living. Please pong me. What did you think? Well, the person I dubbed as the caterpillar man eventually. Um, oh. <laughs> What did what did you originally think he looked like when we just got like the overlay of the face? I'm curious. <laughs> I mean, for like a second there, I did think <laughs> I did think some the, the caterpillar equivalent of Batman. You know, like caterpillar man, because <laughs> <laughs> you can see his mouth moving behind what is very clearly a, a not. I'm, I hesitated to call it a mask. I want to call it a helmet. <laughs> or a caterpillar cowl. Why? What, what was on your mind? Well, I, I thought originally it was going to be an owl because all the other oh. people we had seen were the Jacondans who were bird people. And I thought he, yeah. he was going to be like the lead bird was an owl. And he then, was an owl, yeah, but he has antennae. It. Yeah, I think I think there was there was a bit, wasn't there, early on when he was communicating with the old dude who... Oh, yeah, you're right. Up, over hologram, we don't see them. Melt. Yeah, and it, it was kind of close in on the the face bit mostly the eyes and mm. i was i was a bit kind of like then confused that we see well what like what i said is i thought it was a caterpillar and then we're told no they're basically slugs and it's like yeah mm. i, I mean, don't think any of a... these outfits go with the <laughs> the, the concept <laughs> you've created <laughs> no that's true <laughs> I think you might be right about the whole owl thing about the Jacondans, though. I've written down hawkmen in my notes, but there's an uh, element, like there's a there's a bushiness to them that might be more owly. I know exactly what you oh, mean yeah, about Mestor, his massive eyes, for example. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it was it was the eyes. Yeah, those I definitely just think of as birds. I like the hawkman. Yeah. Like, well, to me that says uh, Flash Gordon, so that's a good reference. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, can we briefly talk the slug people? And the Hawkman. Because Doc explains that the slug people... I've already forgotten what they're called now, but the I've made a note of them somewhere. The gastropods. Yeah. The gastropods, okay. they are... They're like a, a part of Jacondan mythology. He even shows them, you know, like, oh, here, there's a there are cave paintings of the story of how yeah. once upon a time all these slug people showed up. And he goes like, oh, yeah... So there's there's this myth- mythological monster that is half man, half slug. And obviously he sees a little a, a snail trail and just goes, oh, I guess the myths are true. Like, clearly they, they're real. <laughs> okay, so A, that deduction is utter shit. But B, what kind of mythology is that? So when people on Jaconda, to be clear, hawk people on Jaconda were painting things on cave walls, did they go, yeah... So there's this mythological army, they're half slugs that we know of, and a half humans, whom we've never heard of because we're hawk people, <laughs> and we're clearly not traveling to other planets because we paint on fucking cave walls. Why wait, wait, are they wait, not half wait. hawk, half slug? <laughs> I do get your point. 
I do get your point. I'm glad. But I, I feel like this is a universe where things are very skewed to humanoid. and That's true. We're ape humanoids who have lost all their fur and any other feature that makes us look more animalistic. And every yep. other creature in the Doctor Universe is humanoid, but has very key characteristics that make them... Almost like a different animal, or you know, they've got yeah. blue skin, or you know, I feel like you're right. Maybe, in fact, no, wait, maybe that's what the fucking costume department was trying to do. That's why oh. the slug is furry because it's got the friggin' feathers. Oh my goodness, and that's why, why like you at first thought it looked like an owl because it's actually meant to be bird like. Freaking hell, yeah, we've nailed oh. this, like. Dude, I was I was <laughs> shitting all over these costumes. I mean, the bird costumes are horrendously bad. But like, how dare this... you? They are amazing. That's what I'm dressing <laughs> up as for the next Halloween. <laughs> I mean, you could put that outfit together in five minutes. Why not? Uh, but... Anything with two to three mustaches is a win in my world. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think maybe the gastropods. Someone thought about that. It makes sense. Yeah. Or it was just a shit costume that we managed to make fit the pattern. But anyway... You know how like you walk through um, a modern art museum or a contemporary art museum and you see a piece and it has this massive story behind it? Nine times out of ten, I don't know about you, but I certainly assume, yeah, that's clearly created post hoc. Like someone just shat on a piece of paper and then afterwards they went, <laughs> oh, but this is what it means. If they can do that about contemporary art, we can do that about Hawkman. <laughs> So now we just have to convince some millionaire to to buy this concept for a few hundred thousand and we're sorted. Yeah, right. turn it into an <laughs> NFT. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> okay, seriously, uh, I have asked too many introductory questions. Go for it, dude. Well, I need to go back to what you said about the doctor making such a leap for his conclusion, because I do disagree oh, yeah? with that, because I think there are two points in this serial where the Doctor does that, and I friggin' love them. So he did oh, it with do tell. the abduction of the twins. I can't even remember how he, how he figured that one out, but he just he's like, bang on the money. He's like, ah, oh, this has happened. Oh, it's probably because some kids have been abducted. Does he even know the twins? I don't know. But yeah, it, it's just like, boom, boom, boom. Like, really reaching with his logic, but there's logic there, and he nails it 100%, and then is very gleeful when it turns out to be true. And this one as well, it's like, when he says it on the planet, it's like, the surface has been ravaged, the trees, well, half the trees have gone, this used to be a forest, the ones that are remaining have been stripped bare, and then later on, true. he goes and finds the cave painting and tells the story of the mythology, and it is, yeah, what's it, they offended the sun god, and then as revenge for Sun God gave the, this slug person creature which ravaged the planet. You know, it fit, fit the story 100%. And then... Yeah, you're right. That was actually worked really well. It, this was a nice part of the script and Colin Baker's performance in all of those things was lovely. Like, his excitement and his like, muddled of muddled together of uh, logic and all this kind of stuff, I think really worked. I agree with you. Completely. Yeah, that's I, I like that. That's very, very good. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Should we talk about Colin Baker, or do you want to leave him until until later slash last? No, no, we should rip that open. Do it, <laughs> rip it. <laughs> I definitely have like some up and down notes about this doctor. Yeah, same. But oh my god, I love Colin Baker. That yes, I could. Yes, he's watch. my friend who agrees with me. <laughs> I could watch him for hours. Like, I mean, his his range in this one serial is pretty impressive. Like, he's 
obviously getting to do a different kind of discompopulated where yeah. he's lurching from quite stable and like sussing out a situation to i mean violent which we'll have to address that that part of his character definitely um to just confused to cowardly you know all, all kinds of stuff is coming out he's an incredibly talented actor I'm not trying to take anything away from Peter Davison, who came before him, but wow, we Colin Baker can act, and I think we said much the same when he showed up in a in a bit part in a previous yeah. serial. He just steals the show the second he's on screen. He steals the show. You know what? I will say one thing. It is always convincing. Absolutely, wherever he is on that very broad spectrum of emotion. He's always convincing. Yeah, hundred percent agree. So, what are what are some think, of the lows? What are some of the negatives <clears throat> that you wanted to say? Oh, sorry, I just cut you off there. The lows and highs from the point of view of the character of the Doctor. So, you know, I was I was trying to separate that out a little bit because that's to do uh-huh. with the script and the direction, and, and maybe this has been agreed with Colin Baker of how the Sixth Doctor is going to work as well. But it's very clear they want to do something different with this, and part of that is even possibly. You're not meant to like the sixth Doctor. Certainly not at this point. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously he does some horrible things, and he treats Perry really badly. I mean, physically attacks her, tries to strangle her at one point, which is obviously not cool. And before that, he's he's verbally abusive. He's really, like, he's a horrible person when he comes to. Yeah. No, there's there's plenty of times throughout the entire serial. It's not just, you know, at the start either, and then then it goes away. Like, this entire serial, he is going from, I think, actually, extremes. He is pleasant. Like, he he does have some nice moments where he says nice things. He he demonstrates he cares about Perry um, on a couple of occasions. And then he does flip and, I mean, attacks pretty much everyone, I think. <laughs> yeah, he jumps on what's his face as as Mile as Azrael. No, what's his name? Yeah. Edgeworth. He attacks him as well. I mean, he he is just sort of generally because of a slightly faulty regeneration. He is horribly aggressive. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's fine for this serial. Like, I'm willing yeah, exactly. to. Except the we're we're doing this as the regeneration state, and whilst it's hard to like forgive him for doing the things he's doing, it's understandable, you know, in the situation. Like if someone has some kind of weird reaction to something, or they have a mental breakdown, you know, you're gonna forgive yeah, them exactly. in that period. But if if this is the sixth Doctor throughout all of it, in, then that's going to be hard to take, I think. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. Perhaps this is a point of reassurance, but Drew and I reviewed an, an audiobook, a big Finnish audio adventure, called, I want to say, The Reaping, which starred Colin Baker as the sixth Doctor, and his companion at the time was Perry. It's the okay. only time outside of TV Who that I've encountered Perry. And their rapport was lovely. Like They just had a really positive, pleasant relationship. So at the very least, at some point throughout their tenure and their travels together, they, I, I think it's fair to assume, will start to get along. And I, yeah, I'm I with so. you. I'm hoping that that is next week, you know, yeah, <laughs> next episode. That's the thing. Like, I, I'm not even sure if I want another episode of this. Like, I want this to be done. I want the one. Yeah. Cut all the violence and aggression, but keep the edge, because that's great. Colin Baker's edge is fantastic. Maybe touching upon, actually, in fact, that aggressive side of, of his freshly regenerated self, he is aware of having an edge in comparison with his prior self. I mean, he calls Davis, and I wrote it down here, fecklessly charming. There's, yeah. there's an arrogance to that, that, you know what, I kind of like it. 
Yeah, no, I, I liked all that as well. Perry says, you know, I've got, I've got the quote, you were almost young, I really liked you, and you were sweet. And then the six doctors reacting to that is just, sweet? <laughs> Fuck no, I wasn't sweet. Jesus, no. Or, or I was sweet, you know, I'm not going to be that again. God awful sweetness. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, let's leave the doctor behind for a bit. Where else do you want to go? What do you want to talk about? Shall we talk about Asmail mm. and his role in the story as well? You know, Let's do it. Take us away. Well, I found it very interesting that he was revealed to be a Time Lord. That's for sure. Yeah. And I was very intrigued because they, they reference a previous meeting between the Doctor and Asmail on Jaconda, which, as far as I can work out, has never happened in the TV show. Correct. Maybe it's in a book? I don't know. Oh, maybe. But, I mean, he's described as sort of a, a mentor of the Doctors. In fact, the greatest mentor yes. of the Doctors. Yes, which is like, true. excuse me, uh, Barusa much? Like, what happened to him? Yeah. Well, yeah, he has that anecdote. He's like, oh, do you remember when we go- went out and we got shit-faced and farted on Barusa's pillow and then we hadn't hung out and, <laughs> oh my god, you had so many cocktails. Here, check out my phone. I've got pictures of you just, like, vomiting in the streets, Azrael. <laughs> It's a testimony to a part of Doc's life that we've also never been privy to. Like, it's a kind of student days of the Doctor, you know? Yeah. When he had this really cool teacher who went out drinking with his pupils, or possibly really uncool teacher who went drinking with his his pupils. That's very true, actually. Sorry, going back onto the sixth Doctor again, but <laughs> no, it's weird. It. Like, I guess Tom Baker, you can imagine talking that way with someone, like his party days. Yeah. Definitely couldn't imagine De- yes, Davis and Doctor talking about that. No, yeah. It, Pertwee as well, I think. Pertwee could probably go like, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Do, do you remember when we went into the laser discos? Davison is probably like, oh, mm, do you remember all those late nights in the library? <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Do you think Pertwee would like? Because this is talking about like a uh, like a drunken night. What's the quote here? The last night I stayed, that last night when you drank the 20 giants and I had to push you in the fountain to sober you up. Like, is that the kind of affair that the third doctor would be out with? Would he not be with a, with a cigar or, you know, a, a smoking pipe and a sherry? Maybe. You know what? I, I think that that anecdote would have taken a slightly different turn. And Asmael, or Azra, Asmael, isn't it, with an M, uh, would have asked, I never saw you after you went off with the quintuplets of, Astro- uh, of Andromeda. <laughs> <laughs> and Pertwee would just go, well, uh, a Time Lord never kisses and tells, you know, and then that would be it. <laughs> that sounds about right. I love that we get to know this part of Doc's background, but I'm still none the wiser about Asmael. As you yeah. pointed out, he's a Time Lord. But why was he in charge of Jaconda? He says, yeah, I was ousted by the slug people. Why were you yeah, in charge he- in the first place, you dipshit? Like, what? I didn't quite figure all this out, to be honest, because there's a his his dying words basically his his regret his only regret is was leaving Jaconda. But I thought he was like the ruler of Jaconda. Is it because he feels like he gave up also, on them when when they got invaded or something? I I guess so. But then take a step back. Why was he the ruler of it? Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. So many questions. So many questions. <laughs> yes. Tons and tons of questions. And he's burnt through his regenerations as well, which I thought. Well, I questioned whether that Very was cool. the case to start with. Like he he said, basically, maybe he's lost his ability re- to regenerate or something. You know, it wasn't phrased exactly as you know he's on his last regeneration. And then Doc later says it uh-huh. exactly that way. Which um, yeah, you could you could. That's not absolutely question. how I. You, interpreted it 
Yeah, I think I did. I just wondered if there was a question mark over if there was some other kind of law that they were bringing into this a little bit. Like you can still lose yeah. regeneration energy through some other means or whatever. But no, it's just it's just this regeneration limit which they established for a couple of series ago. Yeah, or doctors ago. I'm not entirely sure actually. <laughs> I feel like that was a was that established with Tom Baker? Might have been. I don't remember. Yeah, Baker. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Do you know what else really annoyed me about Asmel? Sorry, I've just found this in my notes. This is on Titan 3, before they get to Jaconda. He's like, oh, oh you're never going to get off this rock, Doc. Uh, I've uh, set the computer. It has 10 million million combinations. Yeah. I mean, I fully admit I had to Google what it's called. But it's a trillion, okay? it's a tr- It has a name. <laughs> This was the best teacher. <laughs> hey, maybe he taught drama, you know, a, a million, <laughs> million. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. This is around about the same time I've written, OMG, I just noticed that the computers are covered in tinfoil. Oh, nice. Which is so good. <laughs> I did. I, I didn't pay a lot of attention to the sets, I don't think. But I did like the little tiny computers that the twins sat down in front of towards the end. That's great. That's the, so good. They... I mean, it was totally a repurposed game of battleships or whatever it was, you know. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. But with apparently like horrendously dramatic consequences. Oh no! Why are you going to play this game? Don't you realize that the entire galaxy is in peril? Oh fuck it! I guess I'm going back to the office. Uh, why do you even have this setup? Why do you have these chairs? <laughs> <laughs> There are lots of people in podcast land listening to this right now who have kids. Uh, People in podcast land with kids. If your kids do something bad, like, for example, threaten the integrity of the galaxy, you take away their mobile phone rights, right? Like, you don't (laughs) let them play, what do you play, Angry Birds, Snake, whatever it is, you know, you you don't let them. But this fucking worst dad ever. (laughs) Anyway, oh, I feel like, I'm getting really upset here. <laughs> well, no, I'm going to try and loop something in here and see if it see if it lands. Because mm-hmm. I was very confused. Uh, we're jumping around a bit, but I was very confused that the lieutenant guy wanted to stay on Jaconda because there's yeah. nothing left for him on Earth. Is I think what he said. Is this because basically the economy of Earth is ruined because the twins haven't been there for a week or something? I don't know. <laughs> like, are they that vital? Oh, interesting. I think you're reading way more into this yeah. than is actually in the script or on screen. But I love that as an idea. <laughs> I just don't understand why he would say that. Like, he came out with a fleet of ships. He was the only survivor as far as we know. But there's an entire planet of people to go back to, or at least yeah. that little base that the ships were sent from. You know, yeah. I don't think any anyone has said that they got destroyed, did they? That's true. But imagine a flashback to his time before he joined a squadron. He gets into the bunk. <laughs> He's in a bunk bed, the bottom rung, clearly. And when he looks up, just before he turns off his nightlight, we see that on the top of his bed, you know, like the bottom of the top bunk, he's glued yeah. pictures of birds in like pin-up <laughs> positions because he's really into <laughs> bird perversion. <laughs> so then fast forward to the end of this serial, he gets a chance to stay on this planet full of hawk people. Yeah, you bet your ass he's going to stay. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay, retro rewrite of this episode. There you go. (laughs) You're welcome, Anthony Stephen. That's a freebie. (laughs) 
hey, maybe he wrote that originally. They just they weren't brave enough to show it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's like he, he was like, oh, this is too good. This, oh no, I can't show the BBC this. I'm sorry, my typewriter caught fire. <laughs> <laughs> I love those hawk people. They're like. They're like the hairy bikers shagged a wood pigeon. They're, they're like, especially the larger one of the two. You know, like there's a, there's one pair of them that we see a lot of. I don't remember yeah. their names. The tiny one has the perfect quadruple mustache and the larger one is just a dick. Uh, I'm not sure who's who. I mean, they were Birdman 1 and Birdman 2 in my notes for the entirety. Oh, possibly, oh interesting. Possibly one is... Drac and one is Norma. Norma is the larger one of the two. Or 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 Norma? Norma? Something like that. There's definitely an O A. Noma, yeah. My text is too small, so I can't read it properly. <laughs> <laughs> I have an introductory question about them as well. It reads as follows. When you saw the Hawkmen, did you also Google which one was Laurel and which one was Hardy? <laughs> What, so you could write in your notes, Lauren Hardy? <laughs> that's, like, that's what they are in my notes, yeah. <laughs> no, I think, because I think the, who is probably Noma, was yeah. more on screen to start with. So I think I just, I dubbed him Birdman 1, because he was the primary Birdman, and we'd only seen two Birdmen nice. to start with, and then, yeah, the other guy was just like the second in command. But <gasps> I've just realised what yeah. I was feeling throughout most of this serial, particularly <laughs> with particularly with him, was it's like John Candy in Spaceballs, where he's dressed oh, up yes! as a big dog. And like it's obviously that's done for comedy and he never he just like walks around with big floppy feet, like clown shoes, and you know, it's not anything that would be uh, if a dog was humanoid, this is how it would behave. It's just him in a costume. That's what I got from these bird people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can have uh, Spaceballs-esque dialogue there as well. You can have um, Hardy holding up a, a glass of water and going like, hey, I'm half man, half bird, I wet my own beak. <laughs> and then he starts like, really <laughs> awkwardly drinking out of it. <laughs> I really want to rewatch Spaceballs. That is, that's a film I haven't seen in at least a decade. And I remember it being maybe not aging super well. <laughs> I mean, I think it probably loses a little bit when you're not eight anymore. But yeah, that's the still, thing, isn't it? Still pretty good, I think. <laughs> what do you think is the degree of um, collaboration on the part of the Hawkman? They used to be ruled by a Time Lord. Now they are suddenly ruled by a bunch of telepathic slug people. Do you think that they're just like on board with that or do you think that they silently oppose their slimy oppressors i mean there's a lot of evidence in this serial that mester is ruling them with an iron fist i mean he right kills a worker because they were stealing vegetables he tortures <laughs> his chamberlain just because he talks back to him um yeah like mm -hmm. i don't think they're in love with their overlord in this situation but i mean they're obviously is think they're a, sorry. a slight split because um noma seems to side with mester quite loyally compared yeah, to true. 
the other guy. Are they even aware enough to be opposed to their rulers? Because we get a couple of scenes where Mester is straight up controlling them, telepathically, whatever, somehow psychically controlling them. He uses either Laurel or Hardy as a listening device at one point, after which Laurel or Hardy, I think, dies. Yeah, it burns out his mind. And then Yeah, he's, exactly. Yeah, he's he stood in the corner dead for a long time and then just collapses. <laughs> that is awesome. I mean it's terrifying, but it is also yeah. awesome. Just as a concept. There's, Could it there's be a that lot Mester about, is actively sorry. controlling them? Oh sorry? I think that I think we do get some scenes where you see Mester controlling people, but it seems to take a lot of effort. It's not yeah. constant. Although Actually, he seems to be able to read Asmael's mind like all the time. And Asmael asks him, um, can you give me a little bit of privacy? Uh, I want to do something private for a while. You know, nothing nothing specific. Just <laughs> Yeah, true. I'd rather you weren't watching right now. I have opened up a private browsing tab. <laughs> Thanks, Mestor. I don't need you in my head right now. Uh, Doc has a similar thing where he goes, don't you think I can feel your presence in my mind? Or something to that effect. Yeah, like He's putting his mind tentacles everywhere. Yeah. It's pretty interesting sci-fi. I have to say, like, there's a lot of very high-concept stuff going on here. It's just that the execution maybe leaves something to be desired on a few occasions. But in general, this is really quite... You know, there's a lot of ambition behind it. Yeah, I would so agree with that. And I, I think that's why I enjoyed this as much as I did, is that I couldn't quite always look past the, in my mind, quite shitty costumes. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I couldn't quite look past, you know, the violent nature of the Doctor, and you know, so I, I'm not going to give this a five, that's for sure. But by God, like when when I forgot that Mester was a big giant caterpillar, like you're just hearing his voice or you're seeing the effects he has on the people, he's a fucking terrifying villain portrayed incredibly right, well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I've just written down a rating, just FYI. I've just written down a little number in there. <laughs> Oh god, don't go don't go nuts with it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure, we we've organized the um the listener minis for later, so we we're aware of the scores that have come in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know what some of you think of this. We haven't read your minis, but we've seen the numerical values that some of you have assigned to this serial. And let me tell you, I disagree with a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you too. I mean, okay, let's let's try and win over some people in podcast land who uh, might think this is a steaming pile of shit, or there's something about it that isn't redeeming. Yeah. Um, so some things that I did really enjoy were, even though the, the the wardrobe scene was a bit weird, when the doc first appears and he's he's so like, I don't care about what I look like, and then he's handed a mirror and it's just basically you know i'm gorgeous i mean look at this this firm mouth and these eyebrows you know whatever yeah. it is he says mm. that's so nice then we have things like shouting to a guard that's pointing a gun at him silence wretch <laughs> in such wonderful <laughs> fashion <laughs> yeah um, that's fantastic doc rigs the transporter to send perry back like tense I, I mean this is a total hand wave of doctor who's sci-fi wibble wobbles yeah like send her back 10 seconds to the tardis in, in a transporter but he's just so amazed it works as well i loved loved how surprised he was <laughs> and then somehow he still relies on her wristwatch he's like um, give me your wristwatch i'll use that to calculate something 
Wait, why? You've taken an object that is not a time machine and you have somehow turned it into a time machine. Why are you a reliant on a 1980s wristwatch? <laughs> I don't know. But I actually really love that. I love the fact that it stops and he overshoots by 10 seconds and then has to like flick a switch in the TARDIS to go back 10 seconds. I don't know yeah. how any of it worked. It was ridiculous, but somehow I really liked it. <laughs> I am entirely with you. It's... On a principle level, I am opposed to the fact that anything can be turned into a time machine. Mm. This is a transporter. It should not be reprogrammable to do that sort of stuff. But the fact that they even... like I mean, just factoring that in is in itself already a bonus point in my book. There's no reason for him to do that, by the way. Like, he can just transport her across. It'll probably be faster for you to do that. And by the way, it's taken you more than 10 seconds to then recalibrate for yourself. So have you gained anything? No, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a clever thing to include there. It's really, really good. Yeah. We even get a nice moment that I feel like we barely got with Davison. And we get it straight off the bat in this serial where Doc is giving a lovely speech. Like he's basically convincing Mester that the twins aren't useful. Like he's better than the twins. And I really sensed it as a do what you want with me. Like focus all your attention on me. I'm the guy that's going to take take the brunt of whatever malice you might have from now on. Like it was a protecting act at the same time as being an egotistical act because he's just saying i'm amazing yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) and i think that's the sort of thing that only the doctor can do because you believe it yeah you're you're a bajillion percent right no you know what you are a million million percent right (laughs) (laughs) here's another thing that i think is absolutely terrific about this one it's that mestor has a really quite dreadful plan in mind But then on top of that, he has another even more nefarious plan that he's kept to himself and that he doesn't even want to share with those closest to him, like in his court. The fact that actually the official bad guy plan is we're going to take a couple of planets. We're going to use these two kids to calculate how to rearrange their orbit. Wait, what? (laughs) We need to put a pin in that and discuss that because I don't understand it at all. Like at all. (laughs) Uh, But then in addition to that, he also has all of his minions stockpiling his jizz in uh, in a weird cavern. And actually, he's planning for these calculations to fail to a certain extent in order for his eggs to be tossed out across the galaxy in order for his species to take over all of it, which... Not just the galaxy, just universe, I think, is the... the Oh, the universe. I apologize. That was very Terry Nation-y of me. I I apologize. (laughs) But yeah, so okay, fine. The the universe, there's almost like a Borgian logic to that, which doesn't necessarily tally with this gross slug character. And I love it. It's so heinous and clever and horrible yeah no i totally agree and underneath that you've got asmail trying to use the same plan i never wasn't quite sure about this but (laughs) somehow using that to save jaconda well i don't think that asmail knows that the actual plan is to bukake the universe I think Asmal is only aware of taking two planets that are really verdant and full of nourishment, you know, food sources, and moving them into the same orbit as 
Which, by the way, that's also really dumb. We need to, if there's time, let's talk about that as well. But moving two planets into a separate orbit, like changing their orbit, just to have a close source of food because the what are they called again? The slug people, whatever, have consumed Gastropod, all of the yeah. food on this planet. Sorry, the gastropods. Um, I think the gastropods. The yes, for. exactly. Yeah, which I mean, I kind of got that he he would benefit, or the, the Jacondan people would benefit from the same thing because, yeah, I guess effectively their planet is becoming uninhabitable if all the resources are being used up. Yeah, but exactly. at the same time, I don't recall there being any part of that plan where they stopped being ruled by and tortured by and killed by Esther. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this is a fair observation. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's it's a life prolonging effort. It's worth doing for that reason alone. But yeah, there it, is it that. But I, like I, I wonder if Edgeworth, Asmael, whatever, is even aware of any risk here, because he seems to express a. I mean, he certainly expresses a, an allegiance to the planet. He seems also to express an allegiance towards the hairy bikers. You know, he doesn't want them to perish yeah. as a species because he kind of he cares about them. There is subjects in a weird way. But it's it's basically the the ousted king, like I don't know, providing food for the yeah the civilization that he has been exiled from. Yeah, under the rule of the new king, when yeah his subjects are now being treated horrendously, and it's just like, well, here's some food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here are a couple of uh, vegetables, and you're not going to die of an embolism. <laughs> If you eat them. That's a horrible thing, by the way. Death by embolism. Horrible as a... Oh, yikes. But Doc has a fantastic line about that. I didn't make a note of it, but he says something about the air bubbles in the blood. Yeah, little tiny bubbles go very well in champagne and purgatives, Noma, but not in the blood. <laughs> that's it, yeah. That's very good. But yeah, Can we just, talk a little more bit more evidence. about... Oh, sorry? sorry it's, it's just more evidence that Mester is a really good villain. Like, that method he really is, yes. killing and torture is just horrendous. I feel like this serial succeeds in ways that the web planet fails. Interesting. Yeah, for anyone who's interested, I, I would really like to rewatch and re-review the Web Planet. I, I've said this a number of times. I really want to do that. Maybe when we're done next year, we'll be done. I'll revisit <laughs> the Web Planet. Anyway, uh, I feel like yeah, mission accomplished. BBC, you finally did it. Yeah, very good. You reminded me actually when you were saying that I had another kind of revelation about. Oh yeah. The, the mythology of this this slug human creature being sent down from the gods as revenge. Yeah. Because <laughs> okay. when you point you pointed out like well you've got bird people and a giant human slug thing. Wouldn't uh-huh. I don't know, is isn't that quite a poetic thing that in your mythology I mean which turns out to be real, you're prey basically i mean birds eat insects worms shit like that you know it's basically your prey has become bigger than you and more aggressive and oh is my now god this is incredible yeah this morphology is awesome man it kicks ass <laughs> jim cakes you're a freaking genius that had not dawned on me that is incredible i'm adding point one to my score that's really solid stuff <laughs> that's like mankind is ruled by a sunday roast <laughs> like a telepathic <laughs> sunday roast <laughs> Oh no, God, that's, that's very cool. That's a really thought scary that. thought, actually. <laughs> no more gravy, no! <laughs> the Chamberlain is just like a massive Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> Our listeners overseas have no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> but that's fine. 
I was going to say, how about, can we please just return to A Squadron for a moment? I never made a note of his name. Colonel, Lieutenant, Lieutenant, something, Lieutenant, that's, oh, <laughs> damn it, I walked into it, oh, I walked right into it. Okay, so, there's so many questions just regarding him, but can we start with, can we start with his clothes? He comes to in the TARDIS, <laughs> he sees, oh, dang it, my sleeve is torn. He wanders into the TARDIS closet and probably spends way more time than he ought to, given that he is a member of A Squadron and is on the case to solve the mystery of the child kidnappings. And he comes out of there wearing, like, a Chiquita banana outfit. Like, the only thing that is missing is a hat made of a fruit basket. Why? I, mean, I felt like this was quite 80s, actually. This was this is pretty much just a shell suit. Oh, do you like, think? Big Gary. <laughs> colors and yeah i mean he could have gone skiing in that thing <laughs> he could also not change his clothes <laughs> yeah i mean that, that you're right that is the bigger point <laughs> <laughs> this guy has an unhealthy relationship to his wardrobe later on we see him getting stuck in a snail trail you know he, he steps in the slug slime yeah. it hardens it solidifies around him and he spends a long time trying to laser it in order to heat up the slime so that he can step out yeah why not just take off your boots like you're you're not surgically imprisoned in your footwear <laughs> Really nice boots, man. That's plan yeah. B. You know, he's going to try that for a, oh, right. a good few hours. And then and then plan B is just, <laughs> yeah, take take my foot out of the boot. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Doesn't Perry compliment him on his boots? Or sort of like, oh, it's such a shame your boots got ruined. Oh, I, I missed that. I like that. That's really good. I have a question, actually. Did you think there was yeah. going to be, well, actually, this is a two-part, and you can choose which order you want to answer. Oh, here we go. Oh, I love these. Okay. A, did you think there was going to be a romantic thing between um, Lang and Perry? And B, which may be a related notion, may not. Did you think Lang was potentially going to be a companion? Oh, interesting. Okay, so in answer to your, I'll answer them in alphabetical order. A, no, even though Perry is a fit bird. No. <laughs> Do you want to rephrase this? <laughs> Sorry. I think for A Squadron's like, like to his liking, Perry has too few feathers. <laughs> I, I, I think he he would much rather stick it to a budgie, you know. But no, I I don't think so. I never got that sense. I I felt like he was there more to anchor Perry's role as the emotional center of the TARDIS, whilst Doc is schizophrenic. Like Doc doesn't. Mm. Doc has lost his sense of self. The only person who is senior in a way in the TARDIS, the only person who has any connection to the past of this show is Perry, even though ironically she is completely new to the cast. And so if effectively A Squadron is there as a cat for Perry to rescue from a tree so that we can see, oh, don't worry about it. The emotional core of the TARDIS is still one of heart and positivity. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with you there. I think I did have a slight feeling, mostly just because if you put man and woman in scenes for a long time, romantic thing happens. You know, it's generally the way that robotics yeah, get this is works, This but... is BBC in the 80s. <laughs> 
one is a man in uniform and the other one is a woman in skirt. Hmm, I, I, there's only so much airtime you can have before <laughs> romance blossoms. Um, yeah. I forget, what was part B of your question? Uh, did you think he might be ending up as a companion? Oh yeah, of course. No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. No, I never took that. I, I mean, now in retrospect, I wonder if maybe I should have. I wonder if I missed something there. It's a very good question. I, I always took him to be a companion of the week. Like one of those companions yeah. who at the end would clearly go, it's fine, I've uh, activated my um, A-Squadron security beacon. They're going to come and pick me and the two kids whom I was charged with protecting or rescuing from this rock imminently. You can go, Doc and Perry. But instead, Doc goes, I'll do your job for you. You stay here and shag bird people. (laughs) And yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, I think I had... I mean, also just to say, you totally nailed this. He wants to shag bird people. It just fits so well with everything. (laughs) I think I didn't consider for a very long time that he could be a companion, mostly because I felt like I know who the companions are until the end of the run. Like, I think there's only two others and they come in with Sylvester McCoy. I could be wrong. Like, Oh, really? Okay. There was just a bit during the, I don't know, start of the second half. I was, I just kept thinking, whoa, this guy's hanging around a lot and he's being sent to like, I don't know, towards the end, like him and Perry come across the TARDIS again and she points out the doors open and she goes off to check Doc's okay, and cop dude goes in to clear the TARDIS of bird people. And it's like there's a lot of responsibility. You know, he's he spends a lot of time in the TARDIS. I think was the was the thing. And yeah, then true. Right at the end, I I kind of convinced myself, no, he's not going to be a companion. You know, that would be ridiculous. And then he has this whole thing about he's going to stay. And I was just like, oh wait, fuck, wait, wait, he doesn't want to go back to where he's come from. Is he gonna? Is he gonna? And then it's just like, no, he's just staying on this planet because he wants to screw around with birds. Okay, fine. <laughs> like one bajillion percent. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps an odd tangent, but since you brought up the um, opening the door to the TARDIS and so on and so forth, this is just a production value question. Is that a new TARDIS door lever? Oh, the little pull out on a half semicircle. Yeah, yeah. Didn't the TARDIS door lever used to be a massive red one? Like a just a gigantic red stereotypical lever rather than a newfangled Scandi design one? This didn't look out of the ordinary to me. Like, I felt like I had seen this before. And what you've described, I can picture a lot in New Who as the, almost the go button for the, the start button for the TARDIS. They whack a big chunky chunky lever down. I can't really think what they do in classics. What I recall from actually the the documentary, was it Adventures in Space and Time, was Hartnell making a point about there's all these buttons on the console do certain things. And I feel like he said one of the little buttons was like the open door button <laughs> but i mean that's a documentary of a you know retelling of events so maybe i don't that's care not i'm very not accurate, but hodnell is a total dude <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if it was new but i don't know yeah I'm, I'm a little tempted to go back just to watch you know two minutes of footage from a davison era episode just to see oh what does it look like when they open the tardis doors i'm all i'm almost certain that it's a, that this is a new lever anyway that was a weird tangent i apologize um, I did want to take us down a different route, and that is, we've talked about Doc, we've talked about the companion who wasn't a companion, but we haven't really talked about his actual companion, Perry. How do you feel about mm, Perry? True. Well, I'm sad to say one of my early notes is that we get the horrible stuttering Perry again. 
the freaking vibrato is annoying, isn't it? It's just so unnatural. And I, I don't think she's a bad actress in most other instances. But for some reason, this is still here. I don't, you know, again, I don't know if it's a direction thing they've decided to just do for this character or if it's an interpretation of the script, which isn't landing very well. Yeah. I don't like it. Otherwise... Yeah, I'm not a fan of that either. Otherwise, I, I still really like her, actually. I, I warmed to her really quickly, which I don't think you did quite so much in the... Was it Planet of Fire she was first Planet in? of Fire. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a there's a lot of... She's just very, what, kind of controlled? Like, she shows that she can handle situations. Not much is is phasing her, that's for sure. She's a human from 1984, I think. And she's being sent to other worlds... And sometimes it's annoying when the human companions just adapt to stuff really quickly, but I've never found that with her. I'm, I'm just, I'm very pleased that she is capable. And while she's questioning, obviously, what's happened to the doc, she's questioning some of the things that are happening happening with aliens and events. You know, it's never like she can't cope. She's always very much in control, I feel, other than the weird stuff. That's interesting. <laughs> that is an interesting observation. I've, I've just looked at my notes. There are a couple of places where I've uh, just n- written down how surprised I am that she is super duper in tune with her sci-fi surroundings. So, for mm. example, she knows about power packs in guns. She recognizes the self-destruct mechanism, presses buttons on the TARDIS console to activate the scanner. Yeah, There's an true. element of almost doctor-level confidence that she exhibits. For example, she's in the TARDIS console room a squadron is toting a gun, which, by the way, she should assume, as should Doc, assume that it is missing its power pack because they actively took it out. Her her, her initiative. But she doesn't realize that. She assumes that it is a loaded weapon, but just in the same in the same way that we would normally expect to see the doctor reacting she just nonchalantly goes oh you effectively saying point that gun elsewhere i've got bigger fish to fry and she presses buttons and flips switches activates the scanner and goes oh shit the doc just blew up oh what am i gonna do she's only been around for like a serial or a two serials or whatever it is i'm not sure i buy that i'm very happy to see her exhibit those traits but I don't think that I am convinced by them just yet. Interesting. Here's my friend that doesn't agree with me. Uh, <laughs> I do like her, I, though. I think she's terrific. There are a couple of things I would throw in that probably won't sway you. But the thing with the self-destruct in particular, I do think is a standout for the way she can apply logic that she would have as a human from 1984 to a device and she's making an educated guess. And she gets Doc to basically... Like, she calls Doc over to say, "What? what is this? I think it's this. It's not a... Doctor, Doctor, there's a self-destruct being enacted. You know, it's it's a it's a questioning with an educated guess. And I really that's like fair. that. Yeah, you're right. No, no, you you've convinced me. That's uh that's a fair point. Like I, I don't know if it plays out for every scenario. I think there is possibly a, a level of comfort, as it were, beyond what she should have for her her short time traveling around with an alien in a phone box, you know. <laughs> yeah. But mostly I'm convinced. And also that that gun scene, I was you've helped explain that to me actually, because I was very confused. Because this is right towards the end of this episode, I think. So we get the cliffhanger where she thinks Doc has blown up and she turns the screen and pulls the terrible face of anguish. <laughs> There's just yeah, that was not a great bit of acting. I'm okay with it. <laughs> okay. 
But I, because this was the whole, I'm going to teleport you back 10 seconds into the TARDIS, the way she yeah. walked around the console and disregarded Lang was like he was You had the there. same thought I had, I think. I thought she was out of phase or something. I a bajillion percent thought the exact same thing. I thought that they couldn't see each other in that scene. Yeah, because that's how she acted. Like, he is definitely pointing the gun at her and following her around the console. Yeah. She does not even, like, I don't know, address that he is in the room. Like, she's looking past him at all yeah. times. And yeah, so I, I thought that that, that was that was done in a strange way. Like, it, I think your explanation actually fits that she thinks the gun is harmless and so she's just ignoring him and concentrating on possibly helping the doc i'm not quite sure what she thinks she's gonna do because he's meant to be following behind but yeah that was that was weird Hmm. but then after a while she clearly must assume that it is loaded because before they head out she doesn't go you may want to take this power pack you know but even if you set that aside, I think the flipping of switches, the assumption of everything that's going on, just the, the assumption of being aware of what's happening around her is not a trait. It's not a characteristic that is normally associated with a companion who is a regular Earth companion, you know, a quote-unquote present-day Earth companion, Yeah, who isn't also a mutant-level, super-hyper-mega-genius. Because she's just a regular person from the the eighties. Yeah, I think I think but in yeah, my mind she's she's probably closest to maybe Tegan. Um, yeah, in recent recent companions, that's for sure. Absolutely, or, I don't know. Doc calls her Tegan on one occasion. Oh yeah, yeah, that was nice in a yeah cool back cool backy extra discombobulationy way. Braveheart Tegan. <laughs> oh, I've forgotten everyone's name already except Colin Baker's, but. Oh, oh, what is a name? Oh, the, the the actor who plays Tegan must surely still be watching Doctor Who at this point, even though she is not on the show. She's at home. That line comes up. If I were in her shoes, I would just be either crying or screaming or laughing maniacally, because isn't that a <laughs> lovely callback? Yeah, no, it's nice. I've got one more Perry thing that we haven't discussed, and that is... The Lava Man, Mestor, in a way that is similar to like Jabba salivating at the sight of Leia in a bikini, he finds Perry, quote, pleasing in a really horrible Weinsteinian way. It's straight up revolting. Yeah, I was glad they didn't dwell on it. Really, I mean, it was it was a convenient plot point for her not immediately getting killed, as we have seen Mester do on a number of occasions to people who he thinks yeah. are probably more useful than he probably thinks she is. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's super creepy, and you're probably right. I wonder how much of it was directly influenced from Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> when did Jedi come out? And when did this come out? Oh wait, actually, you might be right. Maybe this is uh, just before. so. This was we still oh, in eighty four. It was first broadcast. 22nd of March 1984. Oh, I think it might be too soon then. No, no, no. 82 Me? is Jedi. No, 83. Yeah. yeah. I reckon I reckon you're right. I reckon this is a direct influence. Just a little throw in there, I guess, maybe. Yeah. There must way, be an it's, element. It's there must still. be sorry. I say I, either way, it's like it's not an obvious enough thing that people would get a nice little oh, that's a that's a Star Wars reference there. It's still just weird, creepy slug guy finds woman pleasing there's a, yeah. there's a daily, daily mail headline for you <laughs> <laughs> enough about boris johnson right how about uh, <laughs> we have <laughs> good work and now it is time to rate this did we laugh or hate this bing bong bing bong hey la 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 ratings 
Well, here we are, that part where we have to summarize all those things we've been talking about. And we didn't play finger on tip of the nose game or anything. We were just very democratic. And it's like... We flipped a coin, though. I'm going going first. Yeah, we flipped a coin and didn't assign anything to it, really. So it's... (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I picked tails. What does that mean? Have I won or have I elected for you to go? Who knows? Anyway, I'm going first. (laughs) So, yes violent doc is my first note here and i think it's okay for one serial for the regeneration serial i think yes it's pushing things pretty far in doctor who land it's not cool don't want to see it beyond this but i can i can put up with it so sure getting that out there on the other hand the edgy doc the kind of in between where he's just a bit of a grumpy asshole and then maybe kind of like says sorry afterwards or whatever that's wonderful I, w- I was quite enjoying that and so is the commanding the poetic the caring doc which we get to see in all of this serial like those traits do come out and i mean basically it's colin baker giving us a master class in acting and i was slurping it up with a big straw that's for sure <laughs> In the same vein, I think Mester was a great villain. I mean, his voice alone was pretty damn badass, but you know, the, the things that he does are very Ooh. villainous. It was only let down slightly by, I mean, the general weird premise that it's a slug human creature, ergo, it's an actor in a pretty poor costume trying to be menacing. And in my book, that failed on a few occasions, <laughs> just like the bird costumes. Like the, these these couple of things occasionally, you know, they, they took me out of the story a little bit. They, they stopped me from enjoying things just for what they were, because occasionally I would turn around and go, that's just a dude wandering around in a costume. And that was a, that was a slight shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perry, who bared the brunt of obviously all those shitty things the doc is doing most of the time, I actually think was really good. I think there are a lot of points in the serial where she gets to show that she's capable. I grant you there are the questions over really, should she be that capable? Should she be that comfortable in this environment she's only been in for a couple of trips and Matadas sort of thing? But I don't know. I've, I'm kind of letting that slide. I think different characters have annoyed me when that sort of thing has happened. I mean, Adric is the obvious one. But I think it kind of works here. The only negative would be the annoying, stuttering, in fear trope, which isn't going away and is is annoying. So yeah, I think you're going to have to contend with that for a while. Yeah, okay. I will just have to live with. I will stop pointing it out. I tried to promise that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. (laughs) No, no, it's fair. Then we have Lang, who I think was actually quite a good companion of the week. I think the problem was that I didn't really warm to him. So I think there are elements where I've played it back in my head and was like, you know what, this character actually served a really good purpose. The interactions between him and Perry, for example, were really good. So that was yeah, that was good. Asmael, I think, worked quite well as one of these characters that is maybe just stuck in the gray zone of morality i mean his actions are questionable that's for sure kidnapping twins from a different planet to calculate (laughs) the what um, What? i don't know the equations for moving planets out of orbit to to make fridges you know i mean it's kind of bonkers shit and there's so many questions around the backstory of asmael and how that fits in with other time lord like behavior or lore or history like i mean are there other time lords going off and ruling planets i mean it's not something we've 
talked about or heard about before. I think, you know, the overriding thing I have from this serial is that I enjoyed watching most of it. I could suspend, you know, my disbelief in most situations. There were some wonderful production things. We mentioned the the model work was really good. I think things felt real in a lot of situations. Some of the sets were quite good. So pretty high. The only other thing I have on my list is that the twins don't deserve any further words. So there we go. Done. Yeah, I can't help but rate this quite, quite well. So oh my god, I've gone with a gone with a three point seven. What three point seven? Oh, I love it! I love it! I love it! That is fantastic. You can blame the whiskey. Okay, I spoiler alert. I have also given it a three point seven. <laughs> Oh, amazing stuff. <laughs> I couldn't wait. I'm sorry. I couldn't wait. Oh, that's great. I did, actually, I did adjust yeah. it slightly. I, I originally wrote a 3.5 before we started recording and I bumped it up. Oh, interesting. I, I started off on a 3.4 um, before we started chatting about this. And you'd think that we would have talked ourselves down, but no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Before I jump into my little mini, and by the way, seriously, kudos on yours. You brought up the um, maths surrounding, like moving, uh, moving planets out of their orbit and whatever else, and how strange that is. Yeah. It only just now dawned on me. We had an episode, or fuck, serial, where they went to. I can't remember what the place was called now, but they went to a place where everyone's purpose was to do maths in order Logopolis. to change reality. Sorry, this is Logopolis, isn't it? Yes, yes, exactly. That's exactly right. You're you're completely right. Is that how the maths are applied? Like, are they calculating things to on such a high level that it changes reality in a way that affects the orbits of planets? I didn't think that's what they were doing. I felt like they were calculating how to like maybe give the planet a little push with an explosion or something so that its orbit would change oh. so that it would then orbit a different planet. But oh, I see. I don't yeah. know if we heard enough in this serial. And I, I actually meant to say, like, I was surprised there wasn't a reference to Logopolis because of this way that maths was shown as this ever-encompassing, almost yeah. magical ability. Exactly. It would also explain the dad's reaction. It was like, oh no, yeah. oh damn it, are you doing algebra again? Don't, because <laughs> you know, the world will change. Every time you do an equation, you you complete an equation, yeah. everything changes. Fuck. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, no, it just sprang to mind. Right, I've already given away the ending. Yes, I gave this a 3.7, but I'll do my little spiel anyway to justify that score. And I'll start by saying, I have searched for twins online a lot of times, but never have I ever had anything like this in mind. Uh, I expected this to be utter shite. And to clarify that, I would like to quote some associated trivia. First off, in 2009, we've talked about this on a number of occasions, when the readers of Doctor Who magazine ranked all of the Doctor Who serials, The Twin Dilemma was their least favorite serial. This was at the very bottom. And to put that into perspective, the previous serial, The Caves of Androzani, was number one. So people do not like this one. Furthermore, Peter Moffat described this story as the worst serial he ever did. Furthermore, Eric's award felt the script was, quote, lousy. Furthermore... Colin Baker named this his least favorite story of his era, adding that the titular twins couldn't act. I mean, there is very little to substantiate any kind of liking of this serial. But then I was 
wonderfully gobsmacked to find that it is actually the kind of gorgeous sci-fi whose plump lips I'd like to, oh, 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 I don't know what I was talking about. I think I blacked out for a second. Let's be fair. Here it is. <laughs> In tons of ways, this is a terrible serial. It is dumb. The characters do inexplicable things like change their outfits or let their kids play cataclysmic angry birds with the fate of the universe. It has massive plot holes, but who cares? It's high concept. What do I know about Angry Birds anyway? And were I not spoken for, I would happily plug these plot holes with my throbbing appreciation for what they were going for in this serial. The Doctor, (laughs) yikes caramba, completely new. And right off the bat, I was not sure how I felt about him. He's so angry and aggressive, not to mention utterly psychotic and homicidal. But very soon... He became utterly amazed hits. Colin Baker has so much edge. You already said it. Like It's just a tour de force paired with fantastical doctory lines. I'm a knight errant, not an errant fool. Great lines. Fantastic lines. I like that one too, yeah. Right? Companions. Well, poor pusillanimous Perry has to contend with a raving lunatic, be assaulted and still not taken seriously, since when does the inside of the TARDIS mirror all of Hollywood? Like, she goes through the ringer in this one, and she comes up strong, full of integrity, with tons of competence, and is just so good a companion. I I am totally on team (laughs) Perry at this point. Cannot wait to see more of her. Companions of the week. We've got plenty of them. A Squadron is a total badass. He works well with everyone, including Perry. He beats off to budgies. He kills a, uh, kills a couple of hairy bikers, gets shot, kills another one, and then just John McClane's on. Total dude. Edgeworth, by the way, great at space babble. Here's a quote. Freighter to Jaconda Control, approaching re-entry, permission to touch down at Omega intersection. Yeah, this is an old guy saying that. Very cool stuff. <laughs> The foe of the month is a half-slug, half-not-hawk whose genetic split I do not understand, but who cares? He's great and terrifying and wow, more please. Uh, Production value, nothing but positives. Very decent sets, gorgeous miniatures, good use of tinfoil, sexy bird cosplay, so shitty they're great slug outfits, and a terrible doctor coat. Greatest asset of this serial is totally solid writing. We didn't talk about this, but kind of evidence to that effect is that the last week on Doctor Who is so much shorter than it usually is. Here it's five seconds because it's tight. Mm, Um, And also huge, huge potential, sadly hampered by Anthony Stevens' exploding typewriter. Biggest flaw is... Really poor acting by a good few characters of the week. And the fact that, yes, Dr. Hex is wonderful, but I'm sorry, I do not like his introduction here. Main takeaway, the Doctor is dead, but long live the Doc. Yeah, (laughs) 3.7. Marvellous stuff. No, that's, those Boom. aren't good enough words. That was that was truly splendid. Good work, my friend. Oh, please do go on. <laughs> Listener minis. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max to fifty, or it would get out of hand. Holy moly! Welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode, Podcast Land. We have uh, not one, not two, not three, but ten. <laughs> I skipped a few there. 
listener <laughs> minis for this episode. What we're going to do is we have picked three of them at random that we will be reading in full. And the rest, uh, we're just going to do teeny tiny little snippets, you know, Twitter shout outs, ratings, etc, etc. But please do go to whobackwin.com, read all of these in their full splendor. Full disclosure, it might take me a while to add them to the website because I'm going on holiday in uh, a day and an hour. <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to be able to add them before I go. So, um, yeah, thank you, everyone, who sent something in. Uh, Jim Cakes, whom do we have first? Why, it's none other than Tracy, Tracy from, from America. America. <laughs> Hello, Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Tracy has warned us in advance that this is a bit of a downer, so strap yourself in. Sorry this is so late, says Tracy, but it took me some time to work out exactly why this unsettled me so much. It's not just the choke that ruins this, although that's pretty bad. It's the constant thread of the Doctor doing things that establish him as an abusive personality. He lies, gaslights, and manipulates. He seems emotionally remorseful at times, but doesn't correct his behavior. Hmm... Here we go. This is the thing where we're going to go. Shit. Oh, yikes. <laughs> Why did we rate this so high? <laughs> Tracy continues, Towards the end of the serial, he turns Perry's criticism back on her. I'm an alien, and it's you being insensitive of me that's the issue here. These are actual abuse tactics, and writing them onto the Doctor character feels like a serious misstep. It's upsetting, and I don't know what to make of it. I want to say something on a lighter note, but the best I can do is say, when the Valiard episode comes up, I'm unsure whether I'm hoping he'll fail or succeed. Uh, yikes. I don't, I don't know, but I think that's kind of dramatic, <laughs> based on what little I know of the Valiard. Uh, yeah. I wonder if... Not actually, I don't know if I wonder. I think it's probably fair to say Tracy knows a lot more about where Classic Who is going than we do. And I think Tracy is completely right in everything she's saying here. But my assumption is that this is, in a very 1980s, the BBC is not quite enlightened yet, slash ever, way. They're saying he's not himself. Every All of his actions are wrong, including these horrifically, yeah, I mean, we even said it very abusive yeah. ways in which think, he behaves. I mean, it's interesting. We, Like we said, we have glanced and seen some of these ratings, uh, the scores of these ratings at least, and obviously people don't enjoy this. And I can enjoy this with the acceptance that it's out of character, sick for Doctor, exactly, because yeah. of you know a mistake of a chemical imbalance or whatever, and I can be forgiving of that. Yeah, it it doesn't justify things, but I can accept it, and it's like it's a weird choice to do, maybe in Doctor Who. Okay, it's there. It's it's his regeneration serial. Things are often odd in the regeneration serial. Yeah, if that's it carries right. on, then obviously this might be a bigger topic. Yeah, this is. I think this is something to revisit the next time that we review a Colin Baker serial. My worry now, based Based on this one single listener mini we've read so far, is that maybe this doesn't change. <laughs> maybe this yeah, is an actual I mean, character trait rather than an anomaly. Oh, yikes. Hint, okay, well, uh, regardless, Tracy, thank you very much. I, I wouldn't call it a, a downer. No, it's an eye-opener. It's a good one. Thank you very much. People who are not Tracy, please do high-five Tracy online. She can be found at... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's found in Tracy backwards. Almost. That's right. Thanks, Tracy. Who's next? Thank you, Tracy. Next up, why it's none other than Neil. Andrew Hello, Neil. Or just Neil. Andrew <laughs> 
uh, Neil starts. Hey, Leon. Hey, Jim. Hey, Neil. I hope you enjoyed journeying through the Fifth Doctor's era, but now it's time for Sawbones Hex. Let's do it, right. Last time, Peter Davison went out on a truly spectacular high in the caves of Androzani, which is still lauded by fandom nearly 40 years later. So where do you possibly go after such a well-loved classic? Well, bizarrely, the BBC decided to follow it up with this steaming pile of horseshit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, continues Neil, I adore Colin Baker and think he's a great actor, but the Sixth Doctor is such a twat here. Loud, brash, and arrogant, he gets off to an awful start by trying to throttle his own companion. It's all just too much, and I find it impossible to warm to his costume. It's simply bad. Moving on from the raving lunatic doctor, we get flat direction, awful costumes, ropey alien makeup, an embarrassing script, and possibly the two worst child actors ever to have stepped in front of a video camera. Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) Don't disagree with the last bit, that's for sure. (laughs) This is a time before CGI. They had little other choice. (laughs) Neil concludes, I do think the few brief location scenes work well. The crashed and burning spaceship looks really good. But beyond that, I've got nothing. This is dreadful. And Neil gives this a rating of 0.5. Yikes, caramba. Here's our friend who agrees with us, but for 3.2 points. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we are so far away from pages, like we're at other ends of a library. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Neil. Excellent, Vinny. People who are not Neil, you know what? Take your pick. Here are two ways in which you can follow Neil. You can go to Neil Androzani, all in one word, or you can go to... Neil James Actor. That's right. I believe the latter is on uh, Instagram. That was on the green. Neil, I I, I feel like that's true. I feel like I've stalked you at some point online. (laughs) Thank you very much, Neil. Excellent, excellent stuff. Who's next? Uh, Oh, wow. It's Michael... Ridgeway. 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 Hello, Michael. Hello there, Michael. <laughs> Michael, what have you done? You've given us one single like, which is a meaty one, and I'll read it out. Dr. Numero 6. One story in, and he's assaulted his companion twice, cowered behind her as a human shield, strangled his best mate, and insulted everyone he's met. Plus, he melted a giant slug into bubbly gloop by lobbing vinegar at it. This guy is brutal. I even like the coat, which gives off a Pennywise vibe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Respectfully disagree, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) I hate that coat. Sorry. Michael's also included not one, but two. First, is crashing a planet into a sun really the most sensible way to scatter and hatch a bunch of giant slugs across the galaxy? Uh, The idea is as stupid as, say, deporting UK asylum seekers to a small, deeply troubled Central African country with piss-poor human rights records, a policy which, incidentally, was also conceived by a bunch of slugs. (laughs) Yep. Yep, 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 yep. (laughs) Second, But yes, agree. That's insane. Like, those eggs would be incinerated. It's dumb. (laughs) No, they were specially coated. And yeah, whatever. For a Time Lord who has lived eons, Asmael is a wee bit naive to trust Mester and a bit dense not to clock his plan. Yeah, fair, fair. Oh my goodness, seeing it written out, I've just realized that Mestor is kind of like Master. 
Yeah. I actually wondered if Azmir was going to be the master at one point. I thought so as well, yeah, definitely. Anywho, Michael continues, understatement of the story. Doctor, are there any more eggs? Azmir, a few through here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Warehouse scene from the end of, what was it, which Indiana Uh, Jones is? Indiana Jones, exactly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Michael gives us a rating of 3.3 out of 5. Jacondon's blood hemorrhaged to death. Yep, I know Baker has his detractors, and with hindsight, the bad doctor goes down like a bag of wet chips with audiences. But fuck it, they were trying something new, and this guy's hilarious. I'd definitely join him in the TARDIS for an adventure. (laughs) All right, yeah, Yeah, nice. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) That's right, yeah. (laughs) Michael, fantastic mini, thank you very much. People who are not Michael can absolutely and should absolutely go and find Michael online. He can be found at bad underscore movie underscore. Wait for it. (gasps) Club. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. Oh, Michael, your rating. It's so big. (laughs) Michael did raise something else, which we didn't really talk about, but I think is Uh why I don't have as big an issue with the doctor being the way he is. Is because we do get that cowardly aspect. Like we get like other hints that he is just so thrown out of whack. Like he flips between being an absolute coward and then someone says you're a coward and then he stands up and is like, oh no, I'm not a coward. I should do this stuff. Like, that's, yeah, that's true. All over the place. So I'm still waiting to see what it settles into. Yeah, same, same. No, that's very true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, very true. Right. Well, here's hoping. <laughs> yeah. Next. Right oh. up. Who we got? N- well, h- henceforth, we are truncating these. We're just uh, doing little snip, snippity, snip, snip, snips of these minis. So apologies in advance, everyone who's sent something in and we haven't read their mini in full yet. Next up, we have Stephen from Canada. From Canada. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. This story is taken in a very misguided direction and is poorly executed. A combination that is sure to spell disaster. Overall, this story earns 1.4 attempted murders out of 5. Solid rating system. (laughs) Thank you very much, Stephen. Uh, People who are not Stephen, read Stephen's mini and then say hi to Stephen at S. (gasps) Andriyetchen. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Who's next? Why, it's Kieran Evans. Hello, Kieran. Hello, Kieran. Kieran says, snip, snippity, snip, 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 and then adds, (laughs) the first half is painful, but it gets a bit more watchable in the second half. Jesus, Perry does get some shit thrown at her. Spoilers. Oh no, it doesn't change really, says Kieran. Oh no. Oh, no. oh this does not bode well. And Kieran gives this serial 0.6 out of 5. Mm, yikes, caramba. Ouch. Yeah, ouch is right. Thank you very much, Kieran. People who are not Kieran, read Kieran's mini online in its full splendor, in brackets, as soon as I get back from holiday and put it up on the website. Uh, And then say hi to Kieran on Twitter at KJEvans2. That's right. For all your Evan needs. Thank you, Kieran. (laughs) (laughs) Who's next? 
Why, it's Ed Corbett. Oh, Corbett. It's Ed Corbett. Oh, Ed Corbett. It's one of those. That's right, it's Ed. Hello, Ed. Hello, Ed. It says some stuff after a snip, snip, snip of, I knew about this one's bad reputation and hadn't seen it since its first transmission. So he tried not to prejudge it. Is this great? No. Is it the worst Doctor Who story ever? Also, no. Uh Uh-huh. So, Ed gives this 1.9. Nice. Yeah, solid rating. Good good middle ground, if you will. It's not often that 1.9 is the middle ground, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, all you readers of Doctor Who magazine, here's your friend who doesn't agree with you. Thank you very much, Ed. Everyone, Thank please you, go Ed. to the website, read Ed's Mini in its full splendor. Indeed. Who's next? Why, it's none other than that spectacular chap that is Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello there, Andy. <laughs> Andy says... No, I'm not going to do the accent. Um, Andy says, snip, snippity, snip, 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 including a likes and beefs list. So definitely check that out. If it hadn't been for Baker and Brian doing so well, this could have been a zero out of five story. As it is, I award this 0.7 slimy slug dealy boppers out of five. 0.7. Nice. Wow. I like the rating system. <laughs> I disagree with the numerical score. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. <laughs> Andy, thank you very much. Very, very good stuff. Peeps, you know the drill. Read this in its full splendor. There's some cameo trivia in this mini as well. Check it out. Um, people who are not Andy, please say hi to Andy online. Tell him, uh, tell him hi from us. He can be found at Caffrey's. What, Jim? 71. That's 71. Caffrey's. Correct. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Thank you, Andy. Who's next? Why, it's G.P. Haynes. I said G. You said P. G. P. G. P. Yeah, that's right. Hello, GP. <laughs> <laughs> All right, GP. Oh, dear. GP says, Perry said it best in the first episode. I think I'm going to be sick. Me too, Perry. Me too. <laughs> GP gives this a rating of 1.3 cheesy alien costumes. Yeah, solid yeah. stuff. <laughs> Very good. Thank you very that much, GP. <laughs> you know what? I guess it actually, depends though. if you like cheesy alien costumes or you don't. I personally absolutely yeah. adore them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for you, that's just like, that's a 4.7, isn't it? 1.3 cheesy alien costumes is 4.7 on the Leon scale. Holy yeah. moly. Uh, if you combine GP's rating with either one of ours, you get a perfect score. <laughs> <laughs> True. That's the math. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, no stay away from the maths thank you very much gp peeps please read it in its full splendor you know the drill just doing another little side thing because of reading all these has made me remember i actually was very kind of like met about this through a lot of the, i think maybe the first or second episode and then i don't know something just flipped in my brain i was just like this is freaking awesome <laughs> yeah and i guess a lot of people just didn't get that flip moment <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Did you watch this in in one sitting, or did you split it across days? No, I split it across two. Yeah, two days. I had uh, one and two back to back, and then three and four separated by some food. Were you okay? Yeah, I watched one yesterday. No, sorry, two days ago, and then I watched two, three, and four yesterday. Uh, Okay, 
And I think I was not on board for part one, but two, after whatever, the second sitting, I was hooked. Maybe you Were need you a gap. Were you happy with that first half? Yeah, I think maybe I was wavering still at that point. Maybe you just need a little pause where you like digest it all. And then you're yeah. like, you hitting the ground running with the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not a binger. That's what it is. It's more a purger. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who's penultimate? It's that man, the Zoonmeister himself, Peter Zunich. What up, Peter? Hello, Peter. <laughs> Hello, Peter. Peter says, snip, snippity, snip, 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 and adds, it's a snooze fest that only occasionally wakes you up because of how joltingly incongruous it is. <laughs> only the celestial toy maker with its racial slur was written worse. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Peter gives this an unstable regeneration 1.0. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> nice <laughs> yep, one, Peter. Yep. Thank you very much. <laughs> Good stuff. Thank you, Peter. Peeps, you know the drill. Website, full splendor. Read it. Who's lost? Well, it's ironically the person that could give us more, Mr. Derek Moore. <laughs> Derek, hello. Please, sir, can I have some Derek Moore? <laughs> Yeah. Hi, Derek. <laughs> Hello there, Derek. Derek says some stuff and concludes with, overall, I give this two out of five. Sorry, I was so bored with this serial, I fell asleep before I could finish my rating system. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Nice one, Derek. Thank you very much. <laughs> and well reenacted, Jim. People of podcast land who are not Derek, how dare you not be Derek? Go online, read Derek's mini in its full splendor in brackets in about a week and a half, and congratulate Derek online whenever he gets a Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. Thank you, everyone who sent in a mini. Yeah, Obviously, muchas gracias. Quite d divisive, although most people just saying this is shit. But yeah, that's right. We loved it anyway. <laughs> That's fine. We embrace diversity here at Hubaquen, <laughs> so that is fine. Um, this is far from the last of Doctor Who, even though this does mark the end of our Twin Dilemma serial. Um, next up, I believe we're venturing into new territory. Do you happen to know what that's going to be, Jim Cakes? Kablam! <laughs> <laughs> Podcast land, I wish you could have seen the hand gesture that followed that. That was that was so badass. <laughs> That's right. It is Kablam. Next up in serial review country, it's gonna be a classic one. It will be Attack of the Cybermen. Very exciting. I look forward to more Cyberman stuff. That's uh, that's gonna be good. I like classic Cybermen. At some point, audio channel will get the gathering. That's right. That is right, yeah, which is a Peter Davison story. So, yeah, blast from the past. Following a Colin Baker story. Yeah, there you go. Mind blown. And next up in the Bonus Who channel, well, I'd like to tell you, but I'm afraid it's a surprise. However, after said surprise, we will have our... 400th episode family reunion, trademark Drew, <laughs> uh, which, yeah, we actually need to sit down and organize. <laughs> That's coming up pretty soon. Podcast land, keep your earballs peeled. In the meantime, though, say hello to us online. Tell us how much you enjoyed this evening, because let me tell you, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Jim Cakes, where can people find you online? Why, people can find me on Twitter at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what now? 
No, that's not the right one. It's Jimmy the Who. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Just testing. Yeah, please do say hi to him there. You can say hi to me as well. I will say hi right back. I can be found at Punkin. P-O-N-K-E-N. Who knows why? I don't know. Maybe you'll find out. It's a bad jingle. I'm finessing it. <laughs> I quite liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Cakes, thank you so much for a splendorific soiree. I'm sorry it got so super duper late at yours. Yeah. Till the next time, podcast land. See ya. Yeah, rock on. Be right next to each other. Cha ciao. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hooray! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when?